Welcome to the Today's Market Explained podcast, hosted by Brian Castle. Brian has been a financial advisor for over 35 years and is the founder of Four Star Wealth in Chicago. He will be sharing the most important investment opportunities out there in ways that are easy to understand and hopefully even easier for you to benefit from. Brian will also be interviewing subject matter experts who can give insights into new and exciting investment opportunities. To see all the best video highlights from every episode, please follow at Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Now, on to the episode. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to Today's Market Explained, a four-star, what do we call it, Chris, a media event. This is well, I'm I'm your host of the four-star podcast, Today's Market Explained. I'm here today with Mr. Chris Reardon. Chris Reardon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Brian. Afternoon, everyone, and uh, glad to be on the podcast. Great. Of course, uh, everyone knows uh, Chris is our Director of Development at Four Star. He's the Master of All Things Portfolio Trading Reports, still loves his Cle- Cleveland Indians. And of course, he's the owner of a uh, golden doodle named Hudson, who's no longer a puppy. <laughs> no, I think he's about four now, which is crazy. Thing. Exactly. And and three wonderful children, more importantly. Um and I'm Brian Castle, founder, CEO of Four Star, Scout, National Boy Scout Foundation trustee, philanthropic advisor, advisor to CEOs and insiders, and chief dad to Quinn and Evan, husband to the amazing Tripti. And if you like what we're doing, I would ask you uh, to give us a five out of five ranking and please send a copy of this uh, episode to your friends and let them listen as well. We're getting great listenership and uh, we're enjoying uh, we're enjoying doing this podcast. So. We hope others will listen and enjoy some of the information. Uh, we compiled a lot of information that's time to talk about, and we're going to start uh, with the markets, Chris, and talk about the economy, and then in general, things that we see out there. Um, so, Chris, normally you talk with us a little bit about the uh, the markets and the positioning. So, what does that look? What does that look like now uh, about the markets, Chris? Yeah, so um, not in, no major changes, I would say, but we did have some slight movements. Uh, we still have domestic equities leading the way uh, at 266 tally points, uh, and it was actually flat since the last podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, international equities actually lost six points uh, since the last podcast in two in the number two position. It's at 255 tally points now. Uh, okay. Commodities gained one tally point and is at 230 in the third position. Uh, so those top three asset classes are really the, um, I would say it's a three-horse race, really, as far as uh, the top asset classes. Uh, then we have a big drop-off when we reach the bottom three. So cash is in fourth, and it's at 145 tally points, almost 100 um, points lower than commodities. Uh, and it was minus nine from the last podcast, cash. So a uh, big drop-off there. Currencies is in fifth uh, at 101 tally points, and that's minus two. Uh, since last podcast, and fixed income is still in last place at sixth. It's at 83 tally points uh, and minus seven from the last podcast. So uh, fixed income continues to deteriorate. Um, we continue to see that kind of downward spiral. Uh, but it was really an interesting week. I mean, we saw the bottom three asset classes continue to worsen or move lower. Uh, and in the top three, uh, we saw international equities move slightly lower, but we saw commodities gain a little bit as well. So uh, really, uh, kind of the, the winners kept winning and the losers kept losing. Yeah, that is interesting, Chris. So it, it really is. 
I mean, these numbers would say this is a bull market, right? Yep. Yeah, for sure. Yet it's been a very strange bull market, which we're going to talk about it only in the last maybe six weeks as the market broadened out to be a broad-based uh, growth in the, in the domestic stock market. Um, the international has been very strong and then commodities were strong last year. Now they're, uh, they got weaker. Now they're getting stronger again. Uh, but we really haven't seen a broad-based move in the market with the Dow Jones flat of the year. You would think this would be a bull market. Yeah. I mean, and I think that it's, it is a very, very unique market, I would say. I mean, you know, we've had a lot of economists calling for a recession and, and maybe we are still going to get a recession online. Who knows? Uh, but the markets have clearly held up better than I think people expected. But outside of that, I mean, you have issues in China. You still have the Ukrainian conflict going on. Uh, interest rates higher than they've been in, in decades. So it's it's a very unique market right now. A lot of um, a lot of different things going on right now. Well, and and just specifically since our last podcast, we've seen a sloppier market after market rallies, and primarily in the tech and technology. We've talked about that. That's uh, fading a little bit here, uh, and and the rest of the stock market isn't going down as much. So relatively, the outperformance of technology is minimizing as when the declines are happening, they're going down less, tech's going down more. So the you know, the the differences in the sectors, which were so so pronounced two months ago, aren't as stark anymore. But there are, as we sit here today, even though the S and P is up about ten percent the half of the S&P sectors are down on the year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that what we've seen in the short term that's really helped uh, the S&P, and, and mostly it's been semiconductors that have been the biggest gainer, uh, has been this kind of revolution we've seen with uh, AI stocks and, and really this this craze. Um, and really the last time we saw this was with cryptocurrencies uh, and the impact they had on um, semiconductor stocks. So uh, we're seeing this, kind of many trend happen. Um, and I think now we're starting to see some of that um, kind of the the gas be let off the pedal a little bit, or if it be let off the, the gas pedal a little bit here. Um, so we're starting to see some of the people say hey, things might not be as quick or as optimistic from the AR front as expected. It's something coming down the line. Uh, so we're starting to see some of that initial, um, you know, euphoria kind of start to drain out a little bit and we're seeing the tech stocks get certainly a lot more volatile due to that. Yeah. So the last couple of weeks we've seen the market down. Our market was down two and a half percent two weeks ago, then again two two percent last week. It's sloppy this week as well. Uh, the NASDAQ composites gotten hit worse. And part of it has to do with um, there was a downgrading of the US you know, debt. Uh, Fitch, which is one of the rating agencies, went to a double A ranking from triple A. And now this is 11 years after Standard & Poor's did that in August of, 20, of 2011. So then the market got a little funky with, with that period of, you know, that announcement. So the value stocks have been doing better than the growth stocks because they were priced for nosebleed territory. Uh, Apple was down about 5%. The, the, the chips, the semiconductors got hit. And Taiwan uh, said demand was disappointing. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of things that are strange. Now, I, 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 NVIDIA, on the other hand, like you mentioned, Chris, the uh, artificial intelligence was up huge. And they had a huge earnings beat, but then the stock went from 500 and had sold off. Um, so we've had positions in and out of that stock at various times. We're back in it now. 
Uh, but you know that artificial intelligence is really driving NVIDIA, which is the graphics card comp- company and also involved in artificial intelligence platforms. Um, although we did see uh, Taiwan Semiconductor and AMD doing better than other uh, than other companies uh, in that they're in the AI space uh, that other companies in the chip sector. Um, Amazon was still strong, but the fresh experiment at Amazon is actually failing, not doing well, but they're so big that the fresh thing was such a small aspect of it. So it's not, not as big a thing as, as people had thought. Um, anything more on the markets, Chris? No, I mean, I think that like that covers it. Um, well, I guess one, one little thing that I'll add, um, you know, I think with the AI, especially, um, you know, we're seeing NVIDIA, I think earnings came out. I think the one thing to highlight is earnings for the most part have been better than expected. Um, I think something like 82% have beat expectations. So uh, that has certainly helped a, a little bit. Uh, but I think that where we're seeing um, kind of the markets dip a little bit on this volatility is because the forward uh, expectations are being dropped. So we're seeing a lot of these CEOs kind of preparing for a drop in uh, earnings uh, in the coming quarters. Yes. So that's that that leads us to the economy, Chris. And the economy is kind of the big enchilada here. What's going to happen? Uh, we've, we've been rumored to have a recession since the beginning of 2022, yeah, we haven't had one. Although if you count the second and third quarters of last year uh, down, uh, slightly down, then that's the definition of a quarter, but everybody, or of a recession, but everybody was saying, oh no, it wasn't enough to be a recession, but that is the technical, uh, you know, the, the business economist group that decides what's a recession, two quarters in a row of negative growth, that's technically a recession. So we had a very small recession last year but what everyone's looking for is a big recession, you know, like a, like a, not, not maybe not a 2008 style or something, but a bigger recession. And that has just not happened yet. While we're, while we're having, uh, you know, record inflation, uh, strongest inflation in 40 years, uh, the markets crashed last year. Um, we were not seeing a big decline in the economy. Um, growth in employment has been strong. And then it got slowed down a little bit, but it didn't go negative in a week until recently it was less than expected, but still positive. So um, just recently, the Federal Reserve uh, had their Jackson Hole conference that they do every summer in late August. And Chairman Powell came out and gave his comments afterward that Kansas City Fed is the one that sponsors that Jackson Hole event. So they led the whole effort, but Powell spoke. And they said basically, Everyone was hoping that they'd say, "Okay, we're going to stop raising interest rates because they, you know, they feel like the interest rates are choking off the economy, causing uh, higher costs for buying real estate with mortgages, and other other negative reasons for higher interest rates." And they said basically, "No, uh, you know, we're we're not done raising rates necessarily. The inflation fight is not over. Uh, they will be data dependent going forward." And what that means basically, if they see negative things in the economy, they they could raise interest rates again. I know from discussions with certain Fed members that that we're familiar with, uh, some of the people who are at Jackson Hole, uh, that there are six of the Fed presidents now that are in the camp of pausing, and they they specifically want to pause, and so that pause will go on until the next meeting at least, when they could raise rates would be in November. So let's see what the record interest rate increases Chris does to this economy. Will it finally slow it down? We're not sure. Um, and, and the Fed 
you know, has gone through this interest rate tightening cycle a number of times. And it does take a little while. There is a lag time between interest rates rising and how it affects the economy. But Chairman Powell confirmed again that he wants inflation to get down to 2%, which is the normal Fed model. There was talk that since inflation was so high that they'd stop at 3% because they're just exhausted and they want to get over with. Uh, But uh, he, he reiterated again that he wants it to go to 2%. And unfortunately, in the last month, we're seeing gas prices go up. We're seeing certain inflation um, metrics go back up. So let's let's hope that that doesn't begin a longer trend. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think that's a great thing to point out is um, we got the consumer, the CPI consumer price index numbers for uh, July and they were pretty much flat. They were up 0.2%. Uh, so still relatively muted, which you could say is overall positive that we're starting to, we're really seeing inflation slow down or uh, at least steady uh, consistently, but some of the headwinds, as you alluded, Brian, is uh, gasoline is headed to a major increase in this cup co- this coming CPI reading. Um, it had a increase of only 0.2 percent in July, uh, but regular gasoline is up 30, uh, probably more at this point, but 30 cents a gallon from a month earlier as of late. Um, and if that just that 30 cents alone would lift the gasoline component of the CPI more than 10 percent for the August reading, so. Um, most likely the August readings we're going to get are, are going to be much higher. Um, so I think that's one of the major reasons for seeing the Fed with this kind of um, sit and wait. They're not going to project um, lowering rates or, or anything anytime soon because I think that there's still a lot of unknowns out there and there's still a lot of impact. I mean, I think we, we could see um, inflation raise again, another couple percent, go back up four or five, six uh, percent. Um, not sure if it'll reach the the highs we saw, uh, but uh, we could see it certainly raise back up again, uh, especially in the short term. Well, and Chris, the other reason that um, the Fed doesn't want to say they're going to start lowering rates, they want to, you know, keep the focus on raising rates or keeping the pressure on on interest rates is the minute they they signal and pivot to a lowering rate environment, like thinking that they've now slowed the economy down sufficiently. Uh, and gotten rid of inflation in the economy, then the dollar is at risk because as long as interest rates are higher, then the dollar is stronger. Um, the dollar as a currency is under a little bit of concern here because there is a consortium of five major, major countries that are creating their own trading currency, the BRICS, as they call them, um, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and so in South, South, South Africa. So if they do that, then they won't demand as much dollars for international trade. The, the euro dollar is still operative, but um, and the petrodollar is still operative. But for some of the other commodities, they may not use dollars anymore. So, so the demand for dollars would go down. And if interest rates go down too, then the demand for dollars to get our interest rates would go down as well. So they don't want the dollar to go down. And so that's part of or being hawkish about it and making sure interest rates stay high. So um, that's where we are. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and, and just to add real briefly to that, I mean, uh, especially with the whole Russia um, with the sanctions, there are a lot of countries uh, that may not look at the Ukrainian uh, Russian conflict going on right now. Um, the same way the U.S. have. I'm like, a lot of them have either looked at at this other currency or utilizing the Chinese yuan. Um, interestingly enough, uh, India and the United Arab Emirates. Have started settling their bilateral trade in their local currencies, whereas before they were using the dollar. 
Uh, so in July, they signed an agreement um, allowing them to settle trades in rupees instead of dollars. So um, we're starting to see a little bit more um, movement away from the dollar, even if the, the dollar is still remaining strong. Uh, as people kind of look to distance themselves and not be as reliant on the United States, think that kind of scared a lot of countries seeing the impact the U.S. could have um, if a country went against them, whether it was for no reasons as Russia did, which I think was unjust, obviously Ukraine uh, invading Ukraine, but you could take it a step further as far as uh, economic and environmental initiatives, um, you know, puts a lot of power into the U.S. So I think we're seeing a lot of countries start to move away from that. Yes. Well, and, and uh, now India has also kind of announced that they're going to try to settle international trade in their own currency, which is the Indian rupee, which is getting more stable. Um, India is now the world's largest democracy since China is experiencing outflows uh, and actually a, a declining population due to their one child policy. So India is growing, India's rupee is doing better. And so um, so there's some competition for the dollar, Chris, mm-hmm. and it can create issues for us, but maybe that's a normalization in the world that needs to happen. And any country that has that power, that much power, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it's better if the power would be a little bit more dispersed, but um, you know, that's just where we've been and it's helped America quite a bit. Yeah. Um, the, then the other thing that's been, been uh, slowing down a little bit is jobs. Now we've had job growth, so it, we haven't gone negative. It's been positive, but normally in a, a strong economy, we see three and 400,000 new jobs a, a, a month. Uh, and we see numbers like that now, the expectations are going lower. So we expected uh, in the last jobs report to have 200,000 jobs, it only came in at 187,000 jobs. So they missed that estimate. Uh, the, the labor force participation rate is down to a near record low of 62.6%. And that's the measurement of who in society um, is actually in the, the workforce, the participation rate because uh, a lot of folks that went through the pandemic, they were retired because of the, they lost their job or whatever. If any of those people have not re- returned to the workforce, so labor force participation of all the people in the country is down. And uh, that could be another reason why that maybe the economy will slow. Um, and there is still some rumors that there's payments being made, COVID related payments to various people. Uh, certainly they have that, that uh, jobs act or they're still paying money out, uh, COVID money to businesses, I know that. Uh, so maybe some of that is the reason that's happening. But nonetheless, um, if people aren't in the workforce, then there's less commerce developed, uh, less jobs to be had. Um, there's still about 4 million people, I believe the number was recently, uh, the economist um, announced, of, of people that are not back at work from the pandemic. And they haven't announced that they're retired. So they're still out there. Um, we're also seeing some economists, Chris, say that their a call for recession is getting less and less and less. So is it possible that even though we think there could be a recession in the fourth quarter or the first quarter of next year, two or two quarters in a row, um, that maybe we don't have a recession? So maybe, maybe the market reacted so severely last year, and now the the green shoots in the economy that are the, the positives are travel because no one traveled. There are many people didn't travel for quite a while during the pandemic years. Restaurants are going through a boom and then housing and building, home building. And that's much more about shifting population rather than growing population, shifting from high tax Northern states to warmer 
um, southern states with better tax policy. Uh, so we're seeing a building boomers. They build more units down there. Plus the, the 2007, 2005 to 2012 bear market in the real estate market still is lingering that there's still many housing units not created. So that has created a building boom. You don't usually see that in a recession either. So we're seeing these positives. Meanwhile, we're seeing all these other negatives. The net, the net aggregate is still positive right now, but it could dip to negative. So that's the way it looks right now. And uh, we wish we could tell you we know what's going to happen, but we're really not sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the other quick little thing to add to that is retail sales um, rose in uh, July 0.7%, which was actually the fourth straight month of retail sales. And just to, to add to your point, Brian, I mean, that's a good sign for the economy. I mean, that's, you know, you don't see that in recession, people going out and spending, retail sales increasing, things like that. So um, we've seen the consumer certainly pulled up for the most part, um, whether they're increasing debt, things like that. Um, you know, that obviously is, isn't is uh, sustainable. Uh, I think one of the headwinds that will be interesting is, uh, it is coming up in a couple of days in, in September, I believe, um, one of the COVID policies that is now finally going away is student loan payments. And that does have a potential major impact on uh, the consumer and, and what they're willing and able to spend. So um, that could be a huge uh, dip for the economy. Now, instead of people spending on retail sales, travel, restaurants, uh, that money is just going to go straight back to you know the government or um, you know these loans. So uh, it'll be interesting. I think we could potentially have had the soft landing um, or, you know, we could just be, you know, kind of waiting and to see in the next couple of months, if these headwinds kind of overtake it. Well, and many economists have uh, trotted out different metrics saying like for the last, uh, in the past, we had 14 months of leading indicators being negative and we've never had a, a period of time when that circumstance had happened and we haven't had a recession. So could this be the first time that we have 14 months of leading indicators that are negative? We don't have a recession. Sure, but it's possible. Anything is possible. That's why they call uh, economics sometimes the dismal science because there's so many variables that people can't really often tell what's going to happen in the economy. So uh, when Chairman Powell says he's data dependent and uh, we're data dependent as well, we keep watching to see what the trends actually are and react to them when we see them. We know what we'll do when we see them. We just don't know exactly how it's going to play out. Um, so um, anyway, that's a interesting. And, and from the perspective of investors, how do investors deal with situations like this? Well, there's a lot of uncertainty in the economy. There's uncertainty in the political scheme right now. A lot of, a lot of uh, consternation between the parties and that kind of thing. So um, we always like to say that we are uh, we are also data dependent, but we react to the trends that we see. And so in our portfolios, we're uh, very strongly invested in, in taking risk when the markets are going up and strong. Right now, we're fully invested because that's what we see right now. But if things turn down, we'll take protection. And that's what we did last year. And relatively, had one of, we had one of our best years where everyone was down a little bit. Many investors were down 25, 30, 40% last year. And many of our investors are down less than 10%. So. Um, or try to preserve capital. And that's all you can ever do as an investor. What do you do when the markets are going down? We try to take protection. But when they're going up, which is about 80 to 85% of the time, 
you should be fully invested for the money you can take risk, risk with, and then be protective at, at, at other times and watch the trends closely. That's And that's what we do at Forrester. Um, So Chris, talking about international, um, we've seen some strong wage growth in the UK, uh-huh. uh, like percent year over year. So we've seen some really strong, uh, they raised rates in England. So seeing some different changes there, they're trying to they're trying to tamp down some of the excesses in their economy, similar to what we're doing in the United States. Uh, there's some other international growth as well, Chris, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, the big news out of the UK was obviously that uh, wage growth. I mean, I think that is absolutely crazy, a 7.8%, uh, which is the strongest ever recorded. Um, so, you know, obviously not just the US, but the whole world is dealing with this um, inflation cue uh, for the most part. Uh, but I'd say the other big news is China. Um, we've talked at length the last couple podcasts about obviously some of the negative uh, economic news coming out of China. Uh, well, China finally kind of had had it up to it and said that they would stop reporting uh, the country's youth unemployment rate. Uh, and that's because it was the last reading was 21.3% for the youth unemployment. And it was really getting shown in the news. Uh, so uh, we're really starting to see China essentially become defensive and even just outright stop reporting uh, numbers there. Um, but on top of that, we it continues to worsen the, the condition in China. So um, Country Garden Holdings, which is one of China's largest real estate developers, uh, missed payments on some of its bonds um, and is warned it is going to expect it's uh, going to post a record loss for the first half of the year. So uh, we're really seeing almost the second large real estate developer uh, in China potentially, you know, uh, have issues. They maybe need to get rescued by the uh, Chinese government. Uh, so that's going to cause a lot of volatility. Um, the People's Bank of China uh, lowered the interest rate on their one-year loans from 2.65% to 2.5% or 2.5%. Uh, and then they also injected about $55.2 billion in new loans into the banking system. So um, they're they're trying as hard as they can to really prop up and help uh, the Chinese economy. But, um, you know, they're in a tough spot right now. Uh, and with all this injection of money, um, they're starting to slip into deflationary territory, uh, which if the Chinese economy does slip into deflationary territory, and that's where the currency, weak, uh, if we're seeing prices weaken, uh, that is much harder to get out of than an inflation environment, which we're in now. A deflationary is much harder to get out of. It's, it's kind of spirals in and not in and not out. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, but there, the issues out of China have certainly not uh, not gone away, and if anything, they've only gotten worse. They have. They seem to be really in a downward spiral, Chris. And uh, you know, you talked about the stop reporting the youth and unemployment. Well, certainly, China is a command and control economy. So if you don't like the numbers, then stop reporting them. Uh, we we also uh, saw some very interesting reports over the last couple of months about the methods and the way China uh, you know, compiles its gross domestic product and. We have a very structured program in America with each Fed bank doing price checks, debt, putting all that data into a system, coming up with an inflation number for each Fed bank, aggregating all that num- all that numbers together, all those numbers together into one number. And it's a very organized process and it's done the same way each time. So we're trying to get the same, um, the, the different, you know, whatever the results are with the same measurements, right? In China, it's a 
political process. They, you know, the the, the low level political guys report things up to the next level, next level, next level. That's why they never had a quarter of negative growth. Who wants to report up the chain that negative growth is happening? So, so um, you, you got to be really suspect of those numbers, Chris. Don't you? Oh yeah, for sure. And we've talked about that. I mean, any other numbers you take with a grain of salt. Uh, but even the Chinese, I mean, can only hide so much. Uh, and I think it was getting to the point where uh, it was just getting so bad. They essentially just had kind of shut everything out. Um, so, but you know, I mean, they're not like a North Korea or something like that. I mean, they are tied into the global economy. So we can still get a good estimate or read from it. And, and all signs that we've seen uh, have really shown to an increase in the slowdown. And, and all these attempts to kind of prop it up haven't really Oh, um, but interestingly, no. Good, right? Well, they moved fifty-five billion into the banking system to make loans to spur growth, but they've got so much real estate that's not even inhabited, uh, and and so you know, I'm not sure what how that's going to work. So the yuan fell to a nine-month low, and so um, they're also experiencing deflation. So you know, we're worried about inflation in the United States and and over in Europe, and so we need to tamp down inflation to a normalized level of say two percent. But if you have an economy that has, is suffering from deflation, just to review that again, if you wanted to buy something right now and if prices are deflating and you knew two months from now it would be cheaper, you stop buying and everybody stopped, stopped buying all at once, that's when the whole economy collapses. And that's kind of what's going on right now in China. And they're actually admitting it to the public. China is not uh, welcome to admit negative things. And now they're actually admitting it, which means they're admitting it now. It's probably been going on for quite a while, and and the evidence is so strong that they can't deny it now, which is the only reason they're probably admitting it. Um, but this is a downward spiral of de- of deflation, population loss. They admitted that they lost eight hundred thousand people last year, but we think they've lost it, probably eight to ten million. It could be as much as that, and they're only unable to deny it. So they threw a number out there that didn't sound so bad. Uh, when you have 1.3 billion people and eight, lose 800,000, doesn't sound so bad, but it's probably a much bigger number on on that large of a population. So, so China's inflation could be a death spiral. Couple that with the fact that they've also got big floods and big big problems going on around Beijing. Uh, there's all kinds of charges of floods affecting the suburbs and then uh, blocking the gates into Beijing so the water flows into the suburbs, suburban areas. And apparently, you know, hundreds of thousands of people have passed away from the floods. So it's a very, very messy situation. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, a lot of a lot of headwinds um, within China. So it'll be interesting to see the impact it has on the global market um, kind of moving forward. Interestingly enough, uh, just across the, the sea there, you have Japan, which most people, when they think of Japan, had just been thinking of kind of a sluggish. Really, after the 90s, you had uh, kind of a sluggish, low-moving, uh, mostly even negative kind of economy. But Japan's GDP uh, actually increased 1.5% in uh, Q2 uh, compared to a 0.9% growth in Q1. So Japan's actually starting to, to grow a little bit in the short term, and their exports actually rose 3.2%. So while China is starting to slip downwards, we're seeing uh, kind of a, a reversal of fortunes, if you will, uh, across the sea there um, with Japan. Well, and Japan, as you say, is starting to grow. And uh, it could be a reaction from China that people trying to leave China 
uh, and, and assets leaving China going over to Japan. And historically, Japan and China have had a very difficult relationship when Japan was one of the strongest countries in the world about uh, 50 to 70 years ago. And they had their way with China and, and China kind of abused a lot of people in China and things that went on militarily. So they've had a very difficult uh, relationship. Japan was, um, as recently as a few years ago, considered to be a zombie economy with the largest debt to GDP ratio of any country in the world uh, and a completely moribund growth scenario uh, where they were experiencing uh, declines in population as well. Uh, some of those things seem to be changing and it's just commerce. Car manufacturers, right, Chris, Toyota, Honda, uh, the supply chain issues are unwinding. Subaru was up, what, 20%? Yes. yes. So these are big numbers. So maybe things are better in Japan. Maybe things are going to continue to be that way. Yeah, so. we might see a little bit of growth out of there. We might see a little bit of a reversal. don't think they're going to be exploding upwards, but we might see them start to trend upwards um, a little bit, which will be good. It'd be good to see after, like you said, Brian, being kind of in that a zombie economy mode uh, for you know, the last decade, really decade plus. And so we also look at the trends in the in the uh, equity investing, stock market investing in dollar terms. And for the first time, we've seen a sustained uh, rally in international stocks. And I say the first time, the first time in, in almost 15 years. Uh, in the period be time between 2002 and 2007, in US dollar terms, international stocks did very well, as well as commodities. And US stocks did okay, positive, but not, not near as good as international. But it's literally been since that time that we haven't seen much growth in the international stock markets. But now with the dollar being weaker or threatened to be weaker uh, as well, uh, and we're seeing some areas of the international markets finally bottom, like Japan, we're seeing strength in international equities. So that had been the number one rank. Uh, it's still right near the top. And so we haven't seen a boom like this in, in many, many years. Uh, and this has gone on for about six months now, Chris. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I do think where we continue to kind of see the running, if you will. Um, and, you know, we could continue to see a move. I think, you know, the one issue, you know, we talked about China, uh, Europe certainly has obviously some headwinds as well. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see kind of what comes out of out of this the next, you know, quarter or two um, moving into 2024, um, you know, and Eventually, we see international and specifically emerging market economies uh, start to act. Yes. Well, we'll see how it all shakes out. It's interesting. Uh, just when you thought you had it all figured out, the world changes, doesn't it? Oh, that's right. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, we've been in kind of this this mode with the U.S. dominating the world, essentially, uh, for almost the last 100 years. So um, that certainly is an outlier, I would say. Um, so, you know. Things are going to change, I would imagine, and we're starting to see, I think, some of the beginnings of it. Uh, what the end end of that looks like, I don't think anyone knows. Now, at this point, uh, very interesting. Well, um, just a couple things to add before we uh, before we depart for today. Uh, we're seeing some big changes in the steel markets, and steel is a big component in construction, obviously. And construction has been strong with the housing markets, but not commercial real estate, but certainly residential. Uh, Cleveland Cliffs made a bid to buy U.S. steel. They rejected it, but there is some movement in that market where they're trying to consolidate the market uh, and come up with you know economies of scale. Um, another big announcement recently, which I think is a part of the trend that we discussed, is Berkshire Hathaway at Warren Buffett 
announced that they're buying into home builders. Now, if you look at all the home building stocks, besides technology, they've been the best stocks of the year uh, from uh, DR Horton and Lennar and some of the other uh, home builders. So they've been very strong, but Berkshire Hathaway is recently investing into them. Then might, they might've pushed some of the stocks up for that matter. But uh, with that housing boom based on a housing shift, not an aggregate growth, it's a, it's a change in growth into, you know, from high tax Northern states the lower tax, more efficient southern states, warmer, warmer climates. So they're still seeing that building, home building going on in Berkshire Hathaway wants to be part of it. We're also seeing some trends that can affect the economy within the cities. We're seeing lots of homelessness. We're seeing people coming in over the border, going to sanctuary cities, you know, tent cities of people living living in tents. We're seeing certainly in our home city of Chicago, in our headquarters city, uh, different encampments around the south side, different neighborhoods, a lot more homeless people. So it's kind of a mess um, right now. Bad tax policy um, and power from public employee unions is driving people out of the major cities like Los Angeles, New York, and Chicago into other cities and other places to be. So that will affect the economy over time and we'll be, be sure to report on different ways which we could take advantage of those trends and hopefully those trends get fixed. We don't want to see poverty. We don't want to see the border overrun. We don't want to see poverty in the cities. But right now, unfortunately, those are some of the things that we're seeing. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's certainly been, uh, especially for Chicago, um, Minneapolis is another one in San Francisco, you know, what they're calling is like doom a doom spiral. You know, when you have the homelessness, you have crime upticks, you have, you have things like that occurring. Uh, it just feeds on itself. And you have people leaving due to bad taxation policies, uh, which in turn raises taxes for other people uh, who in turn leave saying, you know, I don't know what the ultimate solution is, but uh, certain cities, especially, I think are going to face a lot of pressure. I think San Francisco is kind of leading in front of it. We're seeing a lot of corporations pull out, um, things like that. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if, if they're able to uh, kind of turn things around or not before it's too late. Yes. So um, on that sober note, uh, I think we're pretty much done for done for today's episode. Um, so everybody um, look for um, the podcast or the blog post on the Leadership Matrix, and you can find that at fourstarwealth.com. Scroll down to the what our advisors are saying, and there's a bunch of different blog post sites there, microsites that you can see the collar stocks, the Leadership Matrix, and the others as well. So look at those, there's always interesting things there. You can sign up for a regular blog post of what's going on in the economy and also get these podcast uh, links delivered to your email by getting onto the podcast. Also, we're gonna be doing an interview. We talked a lot about the banking system and how over the last year or so, the banks have shown some weakness with short-term interest rates high. They're bringing in money at 5% and lending it out at, at other levels and their cost of funds is above what they're getting and what their yield is. And so the banks are in trouble. If anybody remembers that in, in the late 70s and the early 80s, we had an entire banking industry go go down the savings loan industry. So it's significantly more traumatic than the things we've seen so far. But if we don't see a change in the interest rate environment, that could also cause trouble for the banks. We're going to be doing an interview with Andy Salk and Andy Salk is the president of of uh, First Eagle Bank in Chicago, a community bank that does mostly real estate lending. And there's ways that you can manage a bank and not have the same issues that 
a lot of the other banks are having through different types of lending and different ways to manage that balance sheet in a bank. So we're hoping to hear some good news from Andy and how he's doing uh, at their bank and how things are done the right way. Um, but um, the, so that podcast interview will be coming up. Uh, so watch for that. Uh, Chris, I think that's all we got today, right? Yeah, sounds good. I think overall we covered uh, covered the major stuff. Okay, everybody. Well, thanks. We'll leave it there. Uh, thanks for being with us on this hundred and what sixty seventh episode of the Four Star Today's Market Explained podcast and video series. We'll be back again with an update in a couple of weeks, and we have a couple of really uh, really interesting interviews coming as well. So watch for those, and they're also right on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts along with these episodes in today's Market Explained. So thanks for being with us, everybody. We'll leave it there. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, the best way you can support us is to leave a five-star review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And if you heard something here that someone else you know will find value from, please share the episode directly with them. Want us to answer your investing question directly on the next episode? Go to todaysmarketexplained.com, scroll all the way to the bottom, and submit your question. Please follow at Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube to see the best moment video clips from every episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, and keep on growing out there, everyone.